God is good, isn't he? Amen. Hey, I want you to know something. If you haven't figured it out by now, last week we talked about putting on the armor of God. We started our new series called More Than Conquerors. And I think we've attracted a little attention. Do you know what I'm saying? Has it been a struggle for some of you this week? Well, the devil's been working, man. And so, uh, hey, stay on the offensive, amen? Put on the armor. Last week we said suit up. And we said uh, stand up and step up with the armor of God. And we just believe God wants us to be more than conquerors. That's what, that's what he called us. If you haven't been having victory in your life, you have come to the right place this morning in the sense that that is what we're going to be dealing with today and for the next oh, eight or nine weeks. We're going to be talking more about it. Today I want to talk to you about our ally. I mentioned to you when I started this series that all of the main topics began with the letter A. Last week was our armor. Today is our ally. And I'll just go ahead and give you a little infomercial for next week. Uh, we're going to be talking about addictions. Addictions. So if you know anybody that is struggling with any form of an addiction. You do your best to get them here next week, okay? Because I just believe God wants to do something. We've, we've seen a um, revival spirit break out in our church in the last few weeks, and I just believe God's working. I think he wants to do some stuff in our lives, and I just believe we can leave this building today greater victors than we've ever been. We don't have to live defeated lives as Christians. So today what we're going to do is I'm going to read a couple of verses out of Romans to you. They'll be familiar probably to most of you. If you were here last week, we dealt with them. But then I want to take you to the book of Joshua. Uh, and we'll start out in chapter 5 and then we'll move into chapter 6, okay? So look with me first of all, Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Isn't that a great verse? Yeah. And I'm telling you, if God is for us, it doesn't matter who it is, they cannot come against us, not, not successfully. Verse 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. Now catch this last part of the verse. Through him who loved us. Amen. Through him who loved us. We have an ally. What is an ally, you might say? Well, an ally defined by Webster is one that is associated with another as a helper, a person or group that provides assistance and support. Our ally is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. So let's pray together and then we're going to look at this uh, passage in Joshua chapter 5. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather. And Lord, I just ask that your Holy Spirit work in such a way today that you will minimize the distractions, Lord. I've noticed throughout this week that the devil's just tried and tried to cause frustration and aggravation and problems and complications, Lord, in the lives of your people. And I pray, God, that as we approach this subject, I know he's not going to let go easy. I know, God, that, that we're not going to experience the victory without a battle and without a fight. So I pray, God, help us. Help us to suit up in that armor you gave us in Ephesians 6 and help us to approach this message today understanding that no matter how fierce the battle may ever get, we are not alone. But we have you right with us all the time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here's what I'd like to do with you. In uh, Joshua chapter 5, we have this great 
passage of scripture where Jericho is about to be marched upon by Joshua and the children of Israel. And, and you got to understand this now, and many of you probably know this from Sunday school, maybe in years past. These walls around Jericho, this was a, this was a very strong fortified city. These were impassable. You just didn't lay siege against Jericho. You couldn't do it. So when the Bible talks about the victory that came, you remember, don't you, that the Bible says the walls fell flat. It doesn't say they tumbled over. They fell flat. And it's a remarkable story when you think about uh, what God did that day, let alone the whole strategy that God used. I mean, it's kind of a wild strategy for a military guy. I mean, we got a lot of military folks in our church. Uh, what, what do you think of that? Where God says, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to march around. I mean, you'll not find that anywhere in any military manual. It's just not done. And, and yet God brought the victory, and it's a great victory. So Joshua's getting ready. I want to show you this. Joshua's getting ready. He, he's he's going to go against Jericho. It's going to be the first battle in the promised land. Now, now let, me, let me take a moment and say this to you so we'll understand. The promised land, although in our hymn books years ago, we would sing about getting to the promised land. Can I share something with you? You are already in the promised land. Now, when I say that in Texas, when I pastor there, they thought I meant Texas. <laughs> but you know how those Texans are. We got any Texans in here? Amen. But we're not talking about that. But I know we, we use the analogy of the promised land as being heaven many times. But the reality is the whole depiction of Israel traveling through the land of Canaan, it is not a picture of getting to heaven. If you think it is, stop for a moment and ask yourself, is there going to be battle after battle after battle when we get to heaven? No, but there is here. It is a picture of the Christian life. Not of heaven, of the Christian life. And so the very first thing they do when they come in the promised land is they get ready for battle. And so they're going to take Jericho, and there has a, there's a significance to this, and we're going to talk about it in a second, but, but they're going to take Jericho. So they're getting ready for their first battle, and the Bible says this, Joshua 5 and verse 13. If you're there, say, I'm there. I'm there. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man... Now, in my Bible, in the New King James, the word man is capitalized. There's a reason for that. And behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Now, I, I love this story. I, I have a bit of a... A vivid imagination sometimes and I can just I can see this happening man I can see Joshua he he's on he's perhaps on edge he he's he's sort of hyper vigilant he's getting ready to march against Jericho and, and so he's watching everything that's going on and he looks over and he sees a man and the Bible says he's got his sword drawn now that's a fighting mode am I right now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what Joshua was doing, but let me tell you this, as far as his physical motions and all that he was going through, he was, I want you to get this through your heads, make sure we all understand this, he was the military commander of the army under Moses. So if you think he doesn't have his hand on his sword, you're mistaken. 
Joshua was a valiant man. I'm telling you, he would go out to battle. And so I think he's got his hand on his sword. And I think he's coming. And he looks at this man and he says to him, tell me, are you for us or for them? I love the answer he gets. Verse 14. So he said, no. <laughs> what? No. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Now let me pause for a moment. This is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. You say, how do you know that preacher? How do you know it's not just an angel? Because he receives worship. And no angel of God will receive worship unless it is the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, a term used for an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is standing there and Joshua says, are you for us or against us? And he says, no. You see, here's the problem. Joshua asked the wrong question. It's the same question that you and I often ask and it's the wrong question. It is not a matter of which side God is on. Let me tell you, it is a matter of which side we're on. The answer from, from the Lord Jesus Christ was one that said, wait a minute, do you know who I am? Because if you know who I am, I'm asking you, whose side are you on? It's not a matter of which side I'm on. And that's very important that we comprehend. I want to give you three key words. And before we get into those words, in just a minute, each of them will have a bit of a directive to them that we'll talk about. But I want to explain further the importance of an ally. Uh, June the 6th, 1944. Some of you recognize that date. The Allied forces of World War II, about 12 of the nations that represented all of the Allied forces, including the United States, launched the largest amphibious attack ever. It was known as Operation Overlord, but most of us know it simply as D-Day. The invasion of Normandy included 5,000 ships, 11,000 airplanes, and over 150,000 ground troops. It was massive. The casualties for the Allied forces were high. But what they did that day, what they did in that campaign, what they accomplished was they, they absolutely brought down the stronghold that Hitler had, simply known as the Fortress Europe. They broke down that stronghold. And many historians believe it was that particular battle that was the turning point in the war. Now there are many other battles that were significant and important. But my point is this. The allies are needed and necessary. One of the worst things in the world you and I can do is try to approach the devil and all of the attacks he throws at us on our own. It's a bad deal, man. Don't try it. Don't do it. Don't do it. I've shared this story, I think, before with you, but I'll take a moment and share it with you quickly. Uh, I was in about second grade, and I had decided I was attending Arlington Heights Elementary School. We got any Arlington Heights people? Anybody here? It's right here, not far from here. I'm surprised at that. But uh, back in the day, I'm talking back in the day when they came out with the three-speed bike and the shifter on the middle of it. You know what I'm saying? Can I get an amen? All right, very important. And this guy brought his bicycle up there, brand new bicycle. And said, this fellow may be here, I don't know. <laughs> Green and it, it morphed into yellow. It was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. 
So I sat on his bicycle. It was in the bicycle rack. And I sat on that bicycle. And he told me to get off. He said, you can't sit. I said, I can sit where I want to sit. <laughs> he was a couple years older than I was. And so he told me after school, the bell rang. He said, when school is out, I'm going to meet you out here. And I'm going to beat you up. Now today, that'd be bullying. Back then, that's how you took care of matters when people sat on your bike. <laughs> Amen? I wasn't worried at all. I wasn't worried not one bit. School let out. The bell rang. I went right to my brother's classroom. <laughs> True story. He was a sixth grader in the same school. And the biggest among them. So I decided to walk home with my brother. Sure enough, that guy met me and he met my brother. And that's all I needed. I was good. I think all it consisted of was just a shove to the ground. The guy left and my brother had won the victory. I'm still buying lunches for my brother, by the way. It's a true story. True story. You say, what are you getting at? I'm, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that, that, that you don't need to be fearful and worried about your battle when you have Jesus Christ as the one who will fight with you and for you. You don't have to be fearful. Instead, conquering is what he does. That's who he is. And I think that's important. Let me give you the first, uh, the first point, the first key word, and the directive that goes with it. The word is observation. And the directive is activate it. Observation. Activate it. The story is told of the boy that as spring break was approaching and March Madness was on its way. Can I get an aha? Uh Little boy was distracted during math class and his teacher looked at him and decided she would give him a project to do and involve him more in the class. And, and so she said, uh, tell me something, Johnny. What is two and four and 47? He said, NBC, Fox, and the channel that the <laughs> NCAA championship game is being played on. <laughs> we got bracketologists with us today, anybody? Bracket, I'm just doing a survey. I'm surprised there's not more than that. Did we get an amen for the Florida Gators yesterday? Is that something? Can we talk about the Seminoles? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Seminoles kind of lost. Observation. When you go to battle, when you go to war, one of the things you got to do, we, we mentioned that Joshua was probably uh, a bit hypervigilant because, uh, I mean, he's about to, to go into battle and he's watching. So he sees the Lord Jesus. That's what he's, he sees. The Bible says he lifted up his eyes and he saw him. You see, sometimes we walk around with our eyes down. We don't see him. We don't know he's there. We, we listen to a message like this and we say, yeah, I know he's there. But, but every day of our life, when you get up in the morning, do you know he's there with you? The Bible tells us in Psalm 46 in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in time of trouble. Amen. A very present help in time of trouble. In Joshua chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1, would you look there with me please? Joshua 6 and verse 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up before. Be, because of the children of Israel, none went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. Did you catch that? See, I have given Jericho into your hand. Now, now let, me, let me put this together. When he meets up with the commander of the Lord's army, that is Jesus, that's the Lord, then this conversation is still going. You, you do understand that when the Bible was written, it was not written in chapter and verse. So you come straight out of chapter 5 in that meeting where he takes his sandals off because he's on holy ground, and you go straight into chapter 6 in the conversation. And so the, the Lord says to him, Do you see? 
I have given Jericho into your hand. Hebrew scholars have said that that is in such a tense that it's a prophetic term and it means it is as though it is already done. The battle has not yet occurred, but the victory is already yours. Now that's important for us to wrap our minds around today. I'm telling you that every battle you face this week, the victory is already yours if you will claim it and go about it the way he tells you to do it. So very important to observe and note who it is that is our ally. See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty man of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city, how many times, church? Seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. So that is the message that Joshua receives from the Lord Jesus Christ. He observes. He observes. You know, one of the things the devil will try to do is blind you from ever seeing that the Lord is with you. He'll try to keep you from noticing that. He'll try to keep you distracted and your mind and your attention on other things. And you won't see the fact that he's right there with you all along. And he can help you through all those times. In 2 Kings chapter 6, there's a great story in the Bible. The prophet is Elisha. Elisha has been bringing uh, victory to Israel because he's been exposing through his prophecies what the king of Syria's plans have been. So everywhere the king plans to show up, Israel's already there to defeat him. As a matter of fact, the king of Syria thought that he had a traitor in his own cabinet, if you will. And, and, and they came to him and said, no, no, it's nobody in our group. It's, it's that prophet. It's that guy, Elisha. So the Bible tells us that the king put together a large army and sent them after the preacher. That's what they did. And so they went after the prophet Elisha. And the Bible says in 2 Kings 6 beginning in verse 15, And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. Can you imagine this? Elisha's servant goes out and he looks around and he sees an army. It's a massive army. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? In the old King James, it says, How shall we do? And the emphasis is the same. Now, and we might say it a little differently. What in the world are we going to do? Might be the way we would say it. But, but it just looks like we are grossly outnumbered. It looks like there's no way we can take... I mean, it's the servant and the prophet. Right? And a massive army. Verse 16, so he answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now about this time, you're ready to commit, Elisha. Would you agree? Elisha, man, you, what in the world? And then he prays a prayer. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. 
You see, there is an angel army that we do not see. And the captain of the hosts is none other than our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he's allied with us, or hopefully we're allied with him. Amen? John wrote it this way in 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So here's the question for you. Do you see it? Do you see him? Have you focused on him? Joshua lifted up his eyes and he saw him. The servant lifted up his eyes and he saw the angel army. So what do you see? Do you see the massive numbers and the problems that come against you, the overwhelming odds? Do you see the, 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 uh, the wall that is impassable, the obstacle that you cannot overcome? And I, and I reiterate, you cannot overcome it, not on your own. That verse of scripture in Philippians 4.13 that we quote so many times, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We often leave out that last part. Don't ever leave out that last part because the first part isn't true if you don't have the last part. And that is you cannot do all things except through Christ. You leave out Christ and his strengthening you, then you cannot accomplish the first part of that verse. Amen. Observation. Activate it. Well, what is it that we see when we activate it? What, what is it that we see when we observe? Let me give you three things you need to settle in on, okay? If you want to put these in to your notes as subpoints, that'd be great. I'm going to give all three of them to you on the PowerPoint, and then we'll go through and deal with them, all right? Number one is you need to, an assessment of the Lord's person. Secondly, an acknowledgement of the Lord's power. And then the last thing you need to pay attention to there is an acceptance of the Lord's promises. Now let me back up for a moment and deal with each of those just briefly with you, okay? Let's talk about who the Lord is, an assessment of his person. When you are going after an ally, you have to know that they're trustworthy. Can I get an uh-huh? When you're going after somebody to help you, you need to know what they're capable of. And there is none more trustworthy, more dependable than Jesus Christ. When you think about the power of that ally, can they really help? I was interested in, I didn't, I, I, I confess to you and all of you teachers that we have here, I'm sorry, but I didn't pay a lot of attention in history class uh, in high school uh, or in junior high or any other time. I just didn't pay a lot of attention to history. And uh, I, I think that, that it's difficult, but as I, as I studied and looked at uh, D-Day and I looked at, at all of the countries that made up the uh, allied forces, I was intrigued by how many didn't show up on D-Day. Large numbers of them sent no troops at all. And I say that to say this, that, that when, you, when you look at the Lord, you need to understand, not only is he trustworthy, but he is, and listen to this word, it's so important, he's, he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. It's not you and him make a majority. It's he is the majority. Does that make sense? It doesn't have to, he doesn't have to include me on his team, man. I mean, he is it. He can do it. And if I'm on his team, then I'm going to be all right. I was telling Mac earlier the other day, we were chatting. And apparently he and I grew up in same, the same circumstances and circles. And 
never even knew each other until we got here, which was really weird. And we spent a lot of time at a park down the road down here, Bruce Park. Uh, how many know where Bruce is? Can I get an amen? Uh, amen. Yeah, Bruce Park. Somebody asked me earlier today where I grew up, and I told him where I grew up, and I said, really, I grew up at the park. I mean, I played ball there all the time. And one of our favorite things to do, you get there kind of early, some of the guys would come over from JU, the Jacksonville University ball team would come out. They weren't supposed to be playing because they'd get hurt. And back in the day, Otis Smith used to show up out there who later played for the Orlando Magic. And, and so, uh, but they'd show, you get a couple of those guys on your team and the winner stayed on the court, you'd stay all night long on that court. Yeah. Because you had the guys who could play out there with you on your team. My point is this. You acknowledge who Jesus is. You settle in on the fact that he is trustworthy. You understand his power. That's so important that we do. And then the acceptance of his promises. He means what he says. And he can do what he says. He said, I have given. I have done this. He said through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, and through the saints at Rome, he said, we are more than conquerors. Amen. More than conquerors. It's important that we embrace that. Number two in our study, if you want to write it down, objective, the directive, reiterate it. Objective, reiterate it. In any contest, in any competition, in any warfare, in any battle, there is an objective. Here's the question for us today. What was the objective? When Joshua lined up his people, when he met the captain of the Lord's army, when he, when he gave the command the next day, what was the objective? Now think hard before you answer because some of us would say it was to conquer Jericho. That is not the objective. That is not the promise. As a matter of fact, if you go back to the beginning of the book of Joshua, in the first chapter, beginning in verse number 2, we read these words. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. You say, what's the point, preacher? The point is, Jericho was not the objective. The whole land was. The entire territory was. Jericho was only the first battle. Can I tell you what I think we do sometimes in our lives? Bear with me a moment. I think some of us think that the objective is salvation and we stop there. Now there's no greater decision you will ever make in your life than trusting Jesus as your Savior. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I believe a lot of Christians go to that point and they stop. And they don't understand that there's so many more victories that need to be fought uh, and won. There's so many battles that have to be fought. There's so many things that we need to do in order to experience what God called, what Jesus called, an abundant life. So we go to Jericho, we got our salvation, and we stop. 
And in many cases we live, and I'm going to say this to you kindly, I know it doesn't apply to all of us, but in many cases as Christians, we live defeated lives. We find there's no power in our prayer life. We find there's no, no peace in our hearts and in our minds. We find there's no conquering of strongholds in our lives. We find ourselves addicted to the same things that lost people are addicted to. We find ourselves doing things and going places and saying things and acting ways as though we are lost. And there's no victory. And the reason is we thought Jericho was the objective. That was it. No, no, no. That's just the first step. Now there are other battles that have to be fought. I came across, I came across a, a commentator who wrote this. And if you'll bear with me, I'll read it to you. I, I find it interesting as we talk about this thought. He said, The pattern of divine strategy for the conquest of Canaan was based on geographic factors. From their camp at Gilgal, near the Jordan River, the Israelites could see steep hills to the west. Jericho controlled the way of the ascent into these mountains. And Ai, another fortress, stood at the head of the ascent. If the Israelites were to capture the hill country, they must certainly take Jericho and Ai. This would put them on top of the hill country and in, in control of the central ridge, having driven a wedge between the northern and southern sections of Canaan. Israel could then engage the armies of the south in battle, followed by the more remote enemy in the north. But first, Jericho must fall. It was all part of the strategy. When you look at it on a map, it makes sense. You go to the higher ground, you take out Jericho, you take out Ai, which they had a little trouble with. Remember that story? Because they started thinking they could do it. Don't make that mistake. So what is the objective? The object objective is for us to live out the Christian life, to progress, to experience the victories that God has for us. Now that we've been saved, we can be more than conquerors. Remember we said that last week when he said we, we are more than conquerors. He was referring to those who have been born again, those who have been, been saved, those who have trusted Christ as our Savior, had our sins washed away in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We are allied with Jesus Christ. We're in relationship with him. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 12 and verse 13, we find an interesting text. I'd like to read it to you. It says, work out your own salvation. For it is God who works in you both to will and how to perform or how to do that of his good pleasure. What does that mean? Work out your own salvation. There are some people who use that to talk about salvation by works. And that's not what it means at all. There are some who believe that when you trust Christ as your Savior, when you pray that prayer, so to speak, that you then are sort of like on probation. That you enter into a state with the Lord that he now watches you and figures out whether or not he should give you salvation or not. So as you work it out, then he gives it to you. And that is the false understanding of it altogether. Think of it like the gym that's down the road or the gym that you might frequent. When you go to work out, what are you doing? You're going to exercise. You're, you're going to, to perform within that realm. And the, the idea behind this is to work out your salvation, is to exercise your salvation. Now that you have entered the relationship with Jesus Christ and you've entered the promised land, now go from victory to victory in your life and experience what God has. Right. Amen. 
That's what it's saying and what we need to do. Let me give you the third word. And since I only had three, now the church is saying what? Amen. <laughs> We're closing in on it. I do have four more subpoints though, so I'm going to take my, no. <laughs> Obedience. And the directive, initiate it. Obedience, initiate it. I've already mentioned to you that the strategy that was given is very unusual. As a matter of fact, Joshua has, has fought many battles up to this point. And I'm sure he was the military commander for 40 years under Moses. Now I want you to get this for just a minute. If you had 40 years of experience as a military commander and you received the message Joshua received, would you not have made some suggestions? I'm, just, I'm being real. I'm just being serious. Is that right? Would you not have said, well, now wait a minute, Lord. Now before we're too harsh on Joshua and we begin to think that way, let, let me just stop for a moment and say, is that not what we do? Does God not put things in our heart and mind and we begin to tell God all of our wisdom? We understand things that maybe he's not seeing. <laughs> Amen? Oh man, be careful with this because obedience is so very important. Either God's going to bring the victory or you're going to try to do it on your own and doing it on your own is not going to go well. God did some things in this, in this whole story that very remarkable. The first victory, all of the spoils... All of the spoils were to be dedicated to God. And many of you know the story of Achan who took some things and hid them and he didn't listen to that. Why were the spoils dedicated to God? Was it because God is a selfish God? It's because he, he demands praise or he demands people giving him things? No, no. It's so that he would be understood as the one who brought the victory. So he designed it in such a way. It's like Gideon's 300 men that was whittled down from thousands upon thousands down to only 300 because God is concerned with who gets the glory. He not only desires that he deserves it. So we find in this text that the commander of the Lord's army gives instruction instruction that would not have been found in any jo of Joshua's journals instruction that says okay we're going to march around once a day everybody's going to be quiet well that'd be tough <laughs> amen that'd be hard everybody's quiet as we walk around now the bible doesn't tell us what was going on on the wall the bible doesn't tell us what was going on in the city but we can use our imagination somewhat and I believe we could hear some, some jeering going on. I believe we can hear some, some things being said. I, I, I believe you can, you can hear some fun being made of the people. And, and people saying things like, Oh, look, look they think they're going to just walk around. These walls are just going to fall down. Well, God can do anything. God can do anything. And there they were, secure as they thought they were. And then he tells, the commander of the army tells Joshua, See, I have given. See, I have given. If we could leave here today and understand 
that we already have the victories. That you are able to set down whatever those strongholds are that have come against you. That you are able to reclaim your family through the power and working of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. That you are able to reclaim your life and your health. That you are able to get back the abundance of your life and the joy of your salvation. You are able to reclaim all of those things through your ally, the Lord Jesus Christ. You will leave with understanding you are the victor. You are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. To do this, I think, involves a few things. So let me give them to you. Four things, very quickly. I think that a life to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, which is spoken of in uh, Ephesians 6 and verse 10, I think it'll be manifested this way. Number one, live excited about our faith. Let me come back to these. Let me go ahead and give them to you because some of you are writing them down and I don't want you writing while I'm talking. So be excited. Go ahead, bring them back up. Fill them in. Live established in your faith. Live encouraged by your faith. And live exchanged in our faith. Let, let me talk about these with you for just a minute. Excited about our faith. There's a verse of scripture and some of you no doubt are familiar with it. Nehemiah 8 verse 10. There are others that speak of something similar. It says the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen. What does that mean? You're, you, you might be seated here today and you say, you know something, preacher, I hear what you're saying, but I, I am weak, man. I am weary, and, I, and I've been fighting, and, and I just don't feel like I'm getting anywhere, and I'm about ready to give up. Well, what does this mean? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, said it this way, it is the joy that arises from the love and favor of God. I want you to think about something. How much does God love you? Don't answer it out loud, just think about it. How much does God love you? When I was a little boy and I walked forward in a children's church service and I knelt at an old altar and the children's church director used to pinch me underneath the arm all the time when I misbehaved. He sat beside me and he opened the Bible up and he began to talk to me about what I needed to do to be saved. And he said this to me and I've never forgotten it. He said to me, David, do you know that if you had been the only person that had ever received Christ as your Savior, he would have still come and died for you. I remember thinking, could that be? For real? He loves us that much? He loved us so much that he came and he died for us. He loved us when we were yet sinners. Do you think he quit loving you since you belong to him? Do you think he has forgotten you, that he has forsaken you? Do you think maybe it's not he, him who has become distant with us? If you'll turn around and look, you will see him standing there. And his sword will be drawn. And it will not be because of you. It will be because the enemy that's coming against you that he has the sword drawn. He is in protecting mode. He led you here today for a reason. No matter where you're from, no matter what your background is, whether you normally go to this church or you just drove by and decided to pull in or you're from out of town or from wherever you are, it doesn't matter. You're here because God designed something for you here in this message and I hope that you'll grasp that, whatever it may be. If you're listening online, I believe the same thing. God led you to this particular sermon and this message because he wants you to know that he loves you and he is with you. 
be established in our faith. Proverbs 16 verse 3 says, Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. See, sometimes we're, last week we talked about the armor and the, and the footwear of the, of the Roman soldier. How important it was to be stable in our walk. Let me tell you something. It's important for us not to be tossed about with the winds. It's important for us not to be unstable. But, but we've got to have that established faith. So spend some time in the word and study the word. Encourage yourself in the Lord. First Samuel 30 and verse 6. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Encourage this past week I was speaking with a couple of people and it really caught my attention as I was talking with them about this very thought. You know, you can, you can choose to not see the goodness of God and you can focus on all the stuff that didn't go like you thought it should go in your life. We just studied this Wednesday night in our last sermon on David when we finished our series. David reaches the end of his life and he says, he says to all of the leaders of Israel, he said, you know, things haven't gone like I thought they would go. I had in my heart to build the temple for God. I wanted so desperately. And then David turns in his conversation. He switches from what he didn't do to what God did do in his life. And he said, but... God called me and chose me to be a king and I have prepared all these other things. I'm going to tell you ladies and gentlemen, it is a choice to either be encouraged by the things God has done in your life or be discouraged that things didn't work the way you thought they should have worked. So I'm asking you for victory's sake. I'm asking you for conquering sake. Encourage yourself in the Lord and see what he's done. This last part of this is the most important, I think. Live an exchanged life. Live exchanged in our faith. Matthew 11, verse 28. Most of you are familiar with this. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now that passage of scripture translated just means this. Why don't you take everything that's burdening him down and he will take everything that's burdening you down and switch loads. You say, my goodness, he must have a lot. He's not burdened down with anything. There is nothing that concerns him. There is nothing that worries him. You have him as an ally. He'll take the load from you if you'll give it to him. The problem is we sometimes make this this mistake. We bring that stuff to him. We bring it down to the altar and we're carrying that stuff, that load that nobody else sees but we know it's there and we lay it there on the altar and we pray and we ask God to take this junk and make it where I don't worry about anything anymore and then we get up and go back to our seat only we pick it right back up. (laughs) And we take it right back with us. I want to say this lovingly, but he don't need your help. He doesn't need my help. He can handle that problem if I'll give it to him. Amen? I know it's easier said than done. But you can do it. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I think, speaks of the exchanged life. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, I'm not trying to live it out of my own strength anymore. Found out I can't do that. 
So I've exchanged it with Jesus. I've let him live through me. I've said this to you before and I want to reiterate it before I close out. Best thing in the world you can do is quit trying to live like him and let him live through you. There's a remarkable freedom in that. Remarkable. Well, the walls fell flat. Joshua 6 verse 20 tells us that. And so it will happen when we observe our ally, when we focus on our total objective, and when we obey the instructions of God, the strongholds will fall. They will fall. The songwriter wrote, I have decided to follow Jesus. The world behind me, the cross before me, though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Let's pray.